every day on the big show. What? Gordon and what? Jake want to keep you up to date on all the action, all the newsmakers, and all the big opinions on the Zone Sports Network. This is What's Going On on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. Live today from RGS Construction and Exteriors. Find out what they can do for you, rgsutahsiding.com. Uh, Gordon, time for a little what's going on. Checking in with the other shows on the station. Uh, let's start with DJ and PK. They had Dylan Colley on the show. He gave his thoughts on the Cougs and uh, their matchup with, you know, the Cougs. A lot of things to hit with you, Dylan. I'm wondering a couple of things, you know, how natural is it maybe to have a little bit of a letdown? And then on the other flip side of it, how hard is it to play great football four games in a row? Yeah, it's extremely interesting to see, right, I think it might have been three plays before people started, uh, you know, talking about the overrated talk, talking about, you know, Oh, Zach really isn't that great, right? <laughs> um, it obviously happens all over sports, but, you know, I think we people really do need to understand. It doesn't matter just because, you know, I mean, I, I think people also fail to forget that UTSA was 3-1. and one. Um, But, you know, people are quick to forget that playing four games in a row Winning four straight at the Division One level is a very, very difficult thing. And there's going to be bumps in the road. Not every time can your quarterback go 24 for 26. So I think there's uh, two ways to look at this going forward. And one of them is uh, now the guys have to watch film of this. They know what it feels like to struggle on the sideline. They want to make sure it doesn't happen again. It's a positive. And the other thing is, uh, it shakes their confidence. They could be rattled if something goes wrong early against Houston. So the the, the mental mind games and all that, how's it going to work for the Cougars? Yeah, I think, I think that will be the big question. I think that's what we'll see next week is if, you know, kind of really where this team stands mentally. They obviously have, right, the maturity. They have the, the veteran players. Um the expectation is for them to bounce back, right, to play a full four quarters. Not perfect, because I think that's what everyone thinks, you know, uh, in order to achieve anything, right, it, they have to be absolutely perfect. But if, you know, a lot of questions are going to be answered. If they bounce back and they play extremely well and, you know, they they kind of hand it to Houston and uh, – physically right dominate physically dominate mentally i think you're gonna see probably a different byu team than you've seen in quite a few years i don't think we've seen a mentally tough byu team in a while even when i was part of it right um teams that can you know teams that can go five six seven games in a row so it'll be it'll be an interesting interesting uh game saturday if you know because I think that's what will define the rest of the season. It's funny in that the media 
we're asking the same question phrased different ways of Kalani as far as how can the team handle all the hype and all the love. And he's trying to downplay it. And I get that because he thinks it's a potential distraction, although it's a distraction that you would actually like to be in the position of having to downplay, receiving a bunch of attention. But how much do you think that it plays into the players? Like, uh, we're supposed to beat these guys. And then particularly against San Antonio, before the Powell fumble, they just go right down the field. And it looks like they're going to go up 7 nothing two minutes into the game, yeah. just like we thought. So maybe there might have been a let the guard down. And now they got against Houston. And so they should be able to recapture it because they know that they can't let their guard down. So all this stuff that is playing into it, how much does it have an effect? I mean, first of all, I think if you if, – right, the – it's, it's always fun to hear, right, because everyone's going to answer. No matter who you ask, you ask someone about hype, right, you ask a coach, you ask a player, they're always going to revert to, you know, uh, we don't think about it, we just need to go out and play, right? That's the cookie-cutter answer. It's what needs to be said. You can't have people yes. thinking that you're just sitting there jumping for joy for a top 25, uh, you know, a top 25 ranking when I think maybe 30 teams are playing, right? Um so in terms of, you know, how they're kind of accepting it, I do think that there is a level of, hey, we are pretty dang good. We know we're better than we have been in a long time. Uh, but this last week, we, we can't afford to let teams believe that they're in games. That's the way that the conversation needs to be had, right? Not for anyone outside, but for themselves to be able to say, okay, you know, we can't struggle against UTSA. We have Houston next week. We need to make sure we, you know, take it to them pretty good. And then that's what's going to set up the rest of the season so that we can go undefeated. If we want to give ourselves a shot in the final stages, in the opportunity to go to a New Year's Six Bowl, right, we can't let teams like UTSA hang around for very long. So that's, that's one aspect of it. The other is understanding, you know, the level of They should be competent. Right? They are a very good team. They're going to make mistakes. There's going to be things where, you know, they kind of let their guard down a little bit. It happens to every single team every single year. And so those are just kind of expectations you have. It's just a matter of how are you going to bounce back? How are you going to recreate the kind of the dominance that you've had the first four games, no matter the opponent? Because a big part of that is the mental aspect of it. Interesting thoughts from uh, Dylan Colley right there, Gordon. And this is something we hit on quite a bit yesterday, and we talked to Tanner Mangum about it in the 5 o'clock hour yesterday, is, you know, the, the opponent is something to be taken seriously, and the mistakes made and their performance against uh, San Antonio are, are something to be taken seriously, seriously. And that could be a recipe for success if, uh, yeah. you know, approached correctly. Well, when I hear Dylan talk and he's talking about how difficult it is to stay focused and to win week after week after week after week, I get that. But everything's different this year because the schedule is so soft, you know? And I, I just I just don't know how difficult it is if BYU is really that good. Houston... Is is like we talked about yesterday, one of the toughest tests, along with Boise State and San Diego State. But these other games, what what are you what are you supposed to do with that? 
You, you can't lose focus against a team like that. Well, you, you know? can because I think well, they did at times. But I mean, if you're if you're really conscientious and you care about what you're doing and you really are that good, then uh, I mean, I don't know what what does that say for the times the two undefeated seasons the Utes put in. You know, what does it say about uh, 1984 or any team that goes undefeated or doesn't uh, is going up against tougher competition and yet they're able to win seven, eight, nine, ten games in a row. I mean, teams do that. So this is what we're trying to determine. How good is BYU? This is a part of it. And we don't really have all the answers to that yet. And th- th- these are... Every game for BYU is kind of a fact-finding mission. We want to find out how good they are because we have to look at things other than the final score against this kind of schedule. Which makes it really difficult because how do you judge the other side where, where somebody had a bad night? Um, because that, it, like you say, it makes it more difficult. I mean, take a, a team like Oregon last year that was really good. Utah saw how really good Oregon was in the Pac-12 title game, and they went on to win the Rose Bowl, right? I mean, that was a really good team. They had Justin Herbert. We're seeing what he's doing. I mean, upperclassman quarterback, uh, well-coached, and yet they lost to Arizona State last year. And if you watch Justin Herbert play against Arizona State, uh, that was not the same Justin Herbert that uh, that really took it to Utah in the championship game. So you know, to really good teams have bad nights too. And Arizona State was a was a good team last year. I don't mean to to downplay that, but they they were young. You know, Oregon should have beaten beaten that Arizona State team one hundred percent. So you know, it's tough when you look at a game like Texas San Antonio to you know to your point, Gordon, and say, boy, BYU had an off night, but. Oh, that other opposition is so bad. You know, by by you know comparison, the Arizona State team last year and Texas San Antonio, you know, are probably not all that comparable because Arizona State was decent. But you know, how do you factor in the had an off night? Uh, yeah, you know, into it when when you're playing against these types of teams. Well, the spectrum has to be a notch higher <laughs> in order to you know if you're you're gonna when you play at your best, you're great. And when you play at your worst, how good are you then? Well, and, they can't they can't lose. I mean, yeah. the right there, and they beat Texas San Antonio. So if we want to set a bar, they can't lose. And Oregon lost last year, and we still thought they were a pretty good team, but they didn't go to the playoffs. So you know, BYU but they, but can, under- can have a rough this, day, but they can't lose. This underscores the very thing that is at the root of BYU's issue this year is. Uh, <laughs> Which is more embarrassing, beating UTSA by a touchdown or losing to Arizona State? You know, I mean, you never want to lose, but it's, it's, this is what we're left with this year. It's not BYU's fault. Uh, they, they grabbed what they could, and they're playing that schedule. But we have to keep that in mind. And, and it's not being Debbie Downer. That's, that, it's just a fact that BYU is playing substandard opposition. And so we're judging them on things that you normally don't care about. How much fun did everybody make of Gary Croton when he said he'd rather win by nine than by two? Well, didn't they lose? (laughs) I think that's why we made fun of Gary Croton, because didn't they lose? 
I can't remember the full loss. Yeah, yeah, he was explaining why he was throwing the ball yeah. when they were up two, I think. Up by two, right. And they did. I think they ended up losing that game. But it's it's it, this is different because BYU isn't playing what would be considered a legitimate schedule, not relative to what the teams that are ranked around it. Yeah, but Houston's you know? good, so this week should yeah. be fun. It's a it's a better opponent, and maybe we'll get a more accurate measure. On, well, you on would how expect Houston is. to be better. Uh, we they beat Tulane. We don't really have that much on them so far, but Houston traditionally a respectable program, no doubt about that. And that team will probably have plenty of speed. So we'll see how the Cougars handle that. Uh, all right, let's get to our next clip real quick here. This is Hanson Scotty talking about Jalen Dixon. When Jalen Dixon looks at the situation, and, and, and this might evolve a little bit differently with uh, the new offensive coordinator as, his, as he continues to you know implement his changes, but if I'm Jalen Dixon, I'm looking around and saying, look, I don't know if I'm going to get the yards and the touches and the opportunities to give myself uh, the tape that I need to maybe make an opportunity to get to the next level. And so he decides that, you know, I'm, deci- I'm, I'm going to go and look for greener pastures, which is 100% is right. And I'm not blaming Utah because, as I mentioned, Utah is doing things that are winning them games at a high level in the Pac-12. So good for them. Keep doing what you're doing. And if I'm Jalen Dixon, I don't blame him either because he wants other opportunities. And you mentioned he might not be a high-target guy this year for the Utes. Well, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm just going to go through the list really quick. And, and you tell me your thoughts. And, Lloyd, if you want to pitch in on this too because I know you know Jalen and this receiving core. Would you throw? Would you target Brant Keithy or Jalen? Uh, Keithy. Okay. Would you target Brian Thompson or Jalen? Uh, I like Brian Thompson a lot, huh? Yeah. Solomon Innes or Jalen? Um, six three two eight. Yeah, probably Innes. Obviously, every one of these are different types of targets. You know, Jalen's five nine. He's uh, he's an undersized target, and and he would be more of like a Britton Covey target. But well, and that's the thing. Can you go double slots with no. him and Covey? Obviously, probably no. not. Co- Covey's going to get that, and if and if Covey's running returns, that takes another opp- opportunity yeah. away from Dixon. So, so you know, Brian Thompson, Solomon Innes, um, Brant Keithy. Britton Covey. You didn't even throw a Fotheringham in the list. You could probably throw Fotheringham. You might even throw like a TJ Green out of the backfield, maybe, but that's that's where you're at. You know, they've got him listed but behind Tyrone Young-Smith, who's now switched back over to the offensive side to try to get some receiving in. And I, like, you've, like you pointed out, there's already limited reps inside of this offense. And I'm sure he's looking at it. He's like, what am I going to get, 20 targets maybe this year? Last year I had uh, 24 catches for 343 yards. So probably 35 tar- 30 yeah. targets. Uh, the year before, he was the second leading receiver with 32 catches and 589 and a couple touchdowns. So probably 40 targets. Um, I don't know. I think 40 might be a bit high. I'd say probably in that 30 range, 30, 35 range. This year? Yeah. I think that might be even a little high. Yeah, Tw- yeah, might might be right in there at the thirty. He is fast and he he can take some stuff. He over is the your, top. De- you know, he is your probably your resident deep threat. He'd kill it at Utah State. He'd kill it in Logan. 
Have you heard anything? Any chance I've he goes not. up to Logan? And I, I yeah, I've not heard. He was he was pretty lethal with the fly sweeps as well. Yeah, yeah, he is. He can he can get on the edge a little bit, but again, if Britton Covey's healthy and you're running him in the slot, Britton's probably going to be responsible for some of those jailbreaks, some of the slips, some of the fly sweeps. They ran him, they ran him 18 times last year for 111 yards and two touchdowns. Had twice as many touchdowns on the ground as he did through the air. In the air, just looking for green pressures. But you know, the other thing is. It, it, it is true. Universities grab reputations. They get a reputation. And Utah has got a reputation for running the rock and putting running backs in the NFL. Got a reputation for building corners and putting them in the NFL. Safeties and in the NFL. <clears throat> they, they don't have a reputation for recruiting and grooming great passing quarterbacks and bringing in fantastic wide receivers to complement those quarterbacks. Right now, if, if I'm a, a great wide receiver in the country, I'm looking at Oregon. Yeah. If I'm a great corner in the country, I'm looking at Utah. And it's just how it's been. It's it's like BYU's tradition at quarterback over the years. It it really just built the reputation and brought in the recruits. Well, you've only had in the last, and I'm only going back to 2009, you've only had two receivers go over 1,000 yards. David Reed did it back in 2009 with 1188, and then in 2013, Drez, or 12, actually, no, excuse me, 13, Drez Anderson had 1,000 yards. Now, Darren Carrington, another, you know, your transfer, came close with about 900 yards, but that's, you're not consistently having 1,000-yard receivers there at the University of Utah. And again, this isn't a knock. It's just what Utah is. And so if you're a wide receiver, I understand why you're looking for opportunity somewhere else. When you're already buried. When you're already buried on a roster. Like if you told me Brian Thompson was looking somewhere else, if Brian Thompson was in the transfer portal, I would look at you and I'd say, okay, Utah has failed there. That's a Utah failure. Yeah. If, if, if. Britton Covey was in the transfer portal, I'd say, okay, Utah failed there because he got healthy, and Britton has shown that he can play in the Pac-12. They failed. Yeah. With Jalen, it's like, all right, Jalen, go see what you can find, man, and good luck. I do think he'd have a lot of success in Logan, Scotty. I think Jalen would be a really good fit in the Mountain West Conference. Uh yeah, I think he could be a good fit in the Mountain West Conference. They got to do a couple of interesting things there, Gordon. First of all, I, I think Jalen Johnson is probably transferring for the they say to get more touches. I, I think that's probably true. You know, you can he got beat out probably at Utah, or at least does does not have the role that he wants, and he can go find the the role that he wants. But as far as recruiting receivers to Utah, this is something I've been talking about forever. If you are a baller receiver, why would you go to Utah? And, and like Scotty said, that's not a knock. It's just that Utah gets baller running backs and uses them. Yeah, and like they talked about, some defensive players at certain positions have been prolific in getting, getting to the league, which is what everyone seems to want to do. Um, yeah, I have no problem with Jalen Dixon transferring. Uh, if it's a better situation for him and he doesn't think he's going to get the ball thrown his way enough, then – uh, he's good enough to be good somewhere, and I don't, you know, if he's the fastest one. Didn't Kyle Whittingham say a couple of years ago that he was uh, all this and that? 
Last year, he, Coach Witt said he's the best deep threat in the country. I don't know if that was, was true or not. Well, yeah, if he meant it when he said it, then what the heck happened? I don't know. It's it's the I've talked to you about this forever too. It's the the constant swirl of hype around Utah receivers continues to just astonish me, and it's stuff like that that feeds into it. I don't know if if Coach Witt just is not evaluating receivers very well and actually believed that, or if he's just selling his team. Yeah, I I don't I don't know what the answer is there either. But if I'm a receiver, I want the ball. You don't have to get the ball all the time to get the eye of NFL scouts, especially when you got speed like uh, like he does. Um, it, you don't have to have a zillion catches. Why? You're not a possession guy. You're a speed guy. You're a deep threat. And a lot of times those guys don't get the ball as often. But when you do get it, Sure helps to uh, rack up the yards, like it's, we talked about with Henry Ruggs yesterday, with uh, in the uh, Raiders game. He had two catches, two for 118 yards and a touchdown. Well, I don't think anyone's going to complain about that performance. All right, Gordon. Uh, speaking of the Utes, there's some interesting Pac-12 news out there today, and actually, the question you and I have been asking was somewhat answered. Uh, we will get to that right around the corner. Uh, we are broadcasting live today from RGS Construction and Exteriors. Our friend Ross jumping on with us once again. Check him out RGSUtahSiding.com. Uh, tell us about your relationship with James Hardy Siding and why that's such a such a special thing. Well, we started doing siding, you know, a few years back. It's been quite a few years now. And we wanted to look at the products that um, complemented what we, what we believe in. We wanted to put the best product out there. And it's widely known that the most durable product you can put on your home um, is James Hardy. It's very popular right now. There's lots of different varieties and styles. And so we wanted to become a James Hardy in, uh, installation company. And so we got... We got into bed with them. Uh, we we went to some trainings. We started to find out more about the product, and we wanted to find out how we can be uh, the best James Hardy company around. And and so, we're actually the only elite preferred James Hardy company out there. And it, it there's a lot of hoops to jump through to do that. We can't cut any corners. Um, if you go to the James Hardy website and you want to get uh, referred to a a dealer or somebody who can do James Hardy for you. We're the only ones around that they're, they're going to refer. Um, so, and that's because we don't, you know, we don't take any cut any corners, like I said, and we, we do it the way that it's supposed to be done. Uh, you have to have a certain amount of uh, good reviews under your belt. You have to make sure that you're taking care of your customers because they don't just do that for anybody. If you're not taking care of your customers and you have people coming back and saying, Hey, you referred these guys and they didn't do what you t- said they were going to do, then they won't, they won't prefer you. Uh, you know, they, we won't be the elite preferred or whatever. So uh, that's a that's something we take pride in. That's something that we sell ourselves on is that uh, we're going to make sure we take care of these customers. And we're going to do their James Hardy siding the right way. And it's a cement siding. So it's, you know, when it comes to Utah and the environment that uh, we have around here, cement-based products, it's, it's extremely durable, holds up to all weather conditions, and that's why it's so popular around here. Amazing. I can see why you guys wear that around as a badge of honor. That's really, really cool. All right, RGSUtahSiding.com, RGSUtahSiding.com. We appreciate you. All right, we'll have more coming up next. Uh, It is the big show, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone.
Robot Shane with the little dandy Warhols here on a Total Request Tuesday. Songs that you listen to when you're over it, whatever that means uh, to you. At Austin Horton, at Jake Scott Zone, at Gordon Monson. We're live today from RGS Exteriors, uh, hanging out with the crew over here, having a great time. Um, Gordon, want to get into uh, some Pac-12 news today. We're going to talk to John Canzano coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Certainly have a lot to get into with him based on some of the reporting he had yesterday. Uh, but John Wilner had, um, uh, uh, I guess you call it a column that was out today. But really, what happened is uh, they did uh, the old, what is it, Gordon Foya Grandma? What does it depend on the state? What uh, what's the official term there? I've always heard Grandma, but but uh, they've uh, yeah uh, they've he grammed a bunch of communication uh, between the Pac-12 um, and the various decision makers. Uh, during the basically the time between the testing that was announced and uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, their decision to proceed with a November schedule. And uh, he's gotten a handful of communications and he lays them out. Um, they're not anonymous sources. I mean, it's it's really, really interesting stuff. But he, he lays out the timeline and the communication uh, between several, uh, several people, uh, specifically uh, the Pac-12 chief of staff, the liaison to athletics and campus government affairs. Uh-huh. Is that uh, so? Basically, the guy whose job it is for the to talk to the government to communicate between the Pac-12 and the government. And uh, then there are a bunch of other people uh, on here from the Pac-12 and various universities. And um, basically, Gordon, if I were to sum this up, because I don't, it's pretty dry to go through this and 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 read every communication. I would encourage people to do so. The San Jose Mercury News. You can go online, mercurynews.com, and uh, and certainly read it for yourself. But it, we kind of asked the question, what's what's the holdup here? Why between the testing and the announcement to come back? And uh, then we had that bizarre incident where the, the Pac-12 and uh, Governor Newsom were pointing the finger at one another. Remember that whole thing? Where yes. Pat, Larry uh-huh. Scott's like, we, we'd get moving if, if, if California had let us. And then Governor Newsom's like, oh, I'm not stopping anybody from doing anything. Uh, the truth is, is there was a lot of unwinding from a bureaucratic standpoint going on in that period of time. And again, you can read that communication, but uh, a lot of it was the, the state of California seemed unbending uh, to the Pac-12, uh, regardless of kind of the arguments that they made uh, until, believe it or not, the letter from the USC players. You remember that, Gordon? Where yes. the the players wrote a letter to Gavin, uh, Governor Newsom saying, "We want to play. You're in the way. We'd really appreciate it if you got out of the way." And that next day, Gordon Governor Newsom got on the phone with Larry Scott. That's also when the Big Ten was getting ready to make their announcement, and then that led to the Governor Newsom saying, "Oh, I haven't been in the way. What are you talking about?" Well, that's not entirely true. If it wasn't him personally, his office certainly was in the way there for those well, couple of weeks. That is one of my favorite words in the entire lexicon, bureaucracy. When things take longer than they should, when things get uh, just sort of complicated because of uh, too many cooks in the kitchen or nobody moving in a prompt fashion, uh, that's frustrating, man. That's frustrating. But it's... Kind of typical in our government, isn't it? I think it's typical of a lot of governments, um, to be honest. 
uh, and you can make some arguments uh, over whether it's it's good or not. In this case, it wasn't particularly productive. Um, just because I, I don't know if it's people who are are feeling their over importance in in upholding policies and not being flexible. I don't, I don't know if there's a political angle to it. Um, or it's simply bad communication. I mean, if you if you read through this whole thing, I, I mean, there's reasons to suspect all of those. Yeah, there's a there's a pretty fat line between being conscientious and being what you just described. You know, uh, what do you say? Taking yourself too seriously. Yes. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me sometimes just sometimes these things happen. So on uh, this is this is this just gives you kind of an idea of what we're looking at here. On Thursday, September tenth, the the liaison to the government sent out a group email that basically said, uh, per our conversation, they said, "I will follow up uh, with Governor Newsom's office today with the update about our testing partnership and request to have a decision about the current California guidance." I expect to have some back and forth and engage members of our medical advisory board to discuss implications of our new testing regimen and then said we'll keep you posted well then fast forward to september 14th they send out uh this uh, the liaison send out sends out an update um the governor newsom's office was appreciative that we shared the testing update and understands the change in our approach to return to play i reiterate reiterated how our four california institutions were facing much stricter health policies than our other eight Per previous conversations, the state guidance will serve as the floor for all counties in California to determine local policies for athletic departments without changing the state guidance or variances to the guidance at the state level. No county is going to change their stance or policies. So long story short, we asked. They said no. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So then you see more communication and then uh, the next day, September 15th, the USC players uh, issued their their uh, their letter. And that night, the Pac-12 arranged a call between Larry Scott and Gavin Newsom. And then uh, it, it, the next day, everything started to actually progress. So, so, it's, so what it's, you're saying is all, all the bureaucrats got home from vacation? No, what I'm saying is the USC players cast light onto how stupid this is. And all of a sudden, the politicians got off their duff and decided to figure it out. It was a joke, Jake. Oh, I'm not picking up your humor very much today, Uh, Gordon. Uh, I apologize. You want to to tell it again? I can give you a laugh. No, it's okay. I don't want to go back. Let's go forward. Uh, Well, they got got it done, and now they're going to play, and it's abbreviated. We get that. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's some stumbling and bumbling that went on. But I still think at the heart of it, uh, the Pac-12 was was not necessarily wrong to delay, at least initially. Uh, if it comes down, once it came down to just trying to clear the way uh, amongst all the uh, uh, these complexities, then then that's uh, that's where you just go. Come on, you can push this thing through. Well, I I mean. We don't need to go backwards in, in our uh, argument history and talk about the Pac-12 stumbling and bubbling. I will defend them a little bit in this circumstance with this report because it it appears like they were trying to do something and were, were meeting a lot of resistance. And it was coming from one particular office. 
So I'll well, defend them here. I was frustrated, and others were frustrated, that it appeared that the Pac-12 was doing nothing but hide behind the Big Ten, which this doesn't really – this doesn't really counteract that narrative per se because the timing of it is still lining up with the Big Ten. And I, I think I still believe that that had something to do with it. But they weren't doing nothing. Okay. They were trying all, to cut through the tape. Well, they weren't doing nothing. Yeah, it's like when I play golf. You always got to have someone else to blame. Right? But in some cases, there is someone else to blame. So uh, it sounds like it just was sort of an elongated process uh, that needed to be cleared. I don't know why. Why would it, why would it have taken so – why the reluctance? Do you think it was worried about public perception slash votes or what? For the conference or for no, the politicians? For, 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 yeah, the politicians. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, that, that particular politician seems to be pushing a certain agenda. Uh, right or wrong, I mean, uh, the guy's been pretty uh, vocal and strong about how he's handled things. So I don't know if if his office dug in their heels. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe they have no idea what they're doing. If it was really a matter of trying to be careful and trying caring about the welfare, the well-being of everybody involved, then I don't have a problem with it. I mean, and and we don't need to go through all this again, but. We're in the middle of a, of a pandemic, you know, I mean, okay. but, but you, you know, I hear what you're saying, but yet they let the 49ers do it, Gordon. Yeah, I know. So I know. they, they, they're pretty hypocritical in their enforcement of it, considering it's the same sport. And they didn't deserve to let them do it. Cause see what they did against the dolphins. Yeah. So you think the governor was just flat out lying when he said, that uh, when he blamed it on more local jurisdictions and whatnot, uh, making it uh, even more complex. Mm, I think he was more passing the buck, and he could have done something about it if he wanted to, which is what eventually happened. But sometimes that takes a while, you know? No, it didn't. They did it overnight. All well, it took I, was, I, and by the way, credit USC players, because if they sp- didn't speak up about it, we might not be talking about a return because it appears like that was but, the, the maybe, light cast on the situation no, but, that needed to be cast. Yeah, but maybe the gears had already been turning for a little while. Well, the Pac-12 were certainly trying to make them turn. Right. I mean, read through this. It appears that, that, that the, it wasn't the Pac-12 being cautious. They were trying. No, no, I know. I'm talking about the, uh, the folks involved, uh, the other folks involved. Anytime you got that many people trying to come to a conclusion on something – uh, maybe that process had started, but it was dragging, and then it got hurried up. Okay. Well, I'm not. I'm not defending it, Jake. I'm just saying that uh, I, I I understand that these things happen sometimes, but they're playing. They're going to play now, so it'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll get to more coming up next. And again, we have John Canzano of the Oregonian on at the top of the four o'clock hour. So make sure. Uh, you stay tuned for that. He's always good. And his report that we talked about yesterday was really, really good. So we'll get to that at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. We're live from RGS Exteriors. Check them out online, rgsutahsiding.com. We'll have more straight ahead here on the big show, 
97.5 and 1280 of the zone. I'm here to introduce the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about from the guys you know and trust. Go Chad! Turn it up. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. Yeah, yeah. On 97.5, 1280 the zone and the zone sports network. The tradition begins with the airing of grievances. Time for Austin's List here on the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, live at RGS Exteriors. We'll talk to uh, our friend uh, Ross coming up here momentarily, but until then, uh, who's going on Austin's List today, Austin? Well, we've got a bit of audio that I need you to listen to on uh, Austin's List airing of grievances today because I, there's, I'm kind of breaking my own rule. I, I'm putting both sides of this audio on the list for different reasons. But what you're about to hear is a bystander who saw something happening at their local Target and uh, grabbed their phone and recorded it, and we thank them for doing so. Because what it is is a picture, a, a woman in a wedding dress with her bridesmaid and her bridesmaid dress next to her and a pastor next to her, and they ambush her fiancé boyfriend at his job at Target as he's stocking shelves. And this is what you hear. This needle knocked me through two years ago, and it's time to do it or get out. Yeah, we're getting married right now, or I'm leaving, I'm out. I'm done. Like, if you don't marry me this second, I brought the pastor. I brought Emily. She's my bridesmaid. Hi, guys. I'm just finally making him commit, you know? Like, we're getting married now, or, like, it's over. Do it. Yes, we can talk about this outside. Shaping. Thank you so much. Can someone pull me about What what you hear there at the end is the poor ambushed fiance slash groom maybe to be saying, could someone have maybe told me about this before we do that? Now, so who goes on the list for me is both. He first goes on the list for proposing two years ago to get her off his back and then thinking he could just leave it alone at that and not move forward from there. She goes on the list because this is not going to be a happy marriage if it goes through, if she thinks this is how love works. You don't ambush someone and give them the ultimatum on camera at their job. You do this or you uh, lose me forever now. That's, that's not a healthy thing to do in a loving relationship. So they really? both go I thought, on the list. I thought, I thought it was rather creative. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that how Lloyd finally got married? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm going to disagree with you slightly, Austin. Okay. I, I wouldn't put him on the list. She goes on the list for sure. Because you know what? You don't marry crazy. <laughs> you, you don't. Well, you don't. Well, wait, I understand, wait, I understand wait, his maybe, hesitancy maybe. to marry crazy. Maybe well, she's then why been did he propose patient to crazy? and sane the whole time, and 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 maybe he's the one, like Austin suggested there, that has just been dragging his feet for uh, in in an intolerable way. Look, okay. you don't propose until you know for sure, and then if you propose and decide, yeah, maybe this ain't the thing, then you end it. You don't just let it keep yeah. going on and on and on. What he said. You know what? Dragging dragging your feet. Uh, maybe maybe that's uh, not um, 
maybe that's uh, non-committal or or you should not have gotten engaged or uh, I get it but you know what it's not crazy <laughs> you know what that woman just did right there that's that's pure insanity oh. uh, maybe he suspected she was crazy and that's why he's dry was dragging his feet yep. but now he has the evidence that 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 woman is is not uh of right mind and can proceed with that information. Uh, so you can you can uh, crack on the guy for dragging his feet all you want, but you, you know what he didn't do? Marry crazy. Well, to, to that end, uh, the look on his face was essentially, if I don't go out here with her right now, I might be dead. So I should just do what she wants me to do. So you might be right. So, so is that what he's going to end up doing then? Is I hope he ended up go? breaking up with her, frankly. Well, yeah, the only way neither I'm of them gonna, are going to be happy. The only way I'm marrying that is if I'm looking down the barrel of a gun. Or at a will for uh, Bill Gates. Uh, or, yeah, or, or if she's a billionaire's daughter. That's about it. We don't know the whole story, though, fellas. And that's why I put both of them on the no, list we, to, we to be safe. No, we do know the whole story. That woman oh, stormed no, into a target and tried to ambush <laughs> Mary, the guy. We, we know enough of the story. He's there in his khakis, red polo. He's just stocking the, the Halloween costumes, and here she rolls up with a job. pastor. That's madness. <laughs> That is that is madness. Oh, that's pretty we, funny. We know plenty to digest that story. Yeah, that's but we don't know the background know. is what I'm saying. We don't know. We don't what... need to. Uh, my, my, my advice would be, regardless of the background, uh, maybe end things before it gets to this point. Either one of you. Don't, don't did... ambush your fiancé for not marrying you, and don't propose to not marry somebody. Oh, uh, but it makes it makes a tremendous story to tell <laughs> 20 years from now, or maybe just one year from now after it's all, it all ends. That guy needs to, <laughs> to go out after work and get a beverage of his choice with his buddies and say, guys, man, I dodged that bullet. Can you help me fake my death? <laughs> like, I don't have to deal with that anymore, so that's pretty terrific. Uh, all right, <laughs> we'll get to more. John Canzano is joining us coming up next. We're live from RGS Exteriors, and our friend Ross is jumping on with us uh, once again. And let me ask you this, Ross. Are there different things you can consider or you should consider doing to the exterior home based on what time of year it is? Well, sure. Um, right now would be a perfect time to look at projects for next spring, for example. And you know, we've got about... You know, we we only we have a couple months left, uh, two and a half months to the end of this year. And obviously in Utah, the weather hits pretty strong. We work year round, but typically we're not going to uh, gut a home, uh, gut the exterior of a home and, and expose uh, your home to winter weather. Um, you know, there, there are ways of doing it and we'll we'll do a little bit here and there. But typically we're not going to start a big exterior remodel. Um, in January, for right. Satan, right? So, so there are things that you want to avoid. But we're 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 doing more new construction a lot during the winter time stuff where we're not exposing uh, customers to that inconvenience. Um, but we will do some um, selective retail, you know, selective remodel. At that point, we're obviously doing a lot of rain gutters uh, and ice melt. Um, people having emergency type of things. But, you know, the winter months can slow you down. It's it's funny in Utah because the weather shifts so much. We'll have a week where it, there'll be no snow and it'll be above freezing and we can get do anything, you know. But we can also have the next week be 20 below. You know, it can it's be wild. Not yeah. 20 below, obviously. Right. But you know what I mean? It can be freezing, freezing cold. And, 
and storms and get a foot of snow. And so there are, you know, we want to avoid, like right now I'm trying to get all my high altitude jobs out of the way. Right, right. And, you know, because it's coming. It's, you know, we're October. We know what happens. We could get our first snowstorm on the valley floor any day. And so what we try to do is uh, prepare for that. And we try to encourage customers to prepare for that. You know, if you need some heat cable on your house, don't wait any longer. I mean, you're kind of last second as it is, but usually we don't have the long lasting freeze until January. So there's a little bit of time to give us a call now and we can get out there, assess the situation. And if it's something you need done before those long winter months of, you know, January, February, we can get that on the board now, get out to you before you need it. RGSUtahSiding.com. That's the website, RGSUtahSiding.com. Thanks, Ross. Yep. All right. John Canzano joins the show. Coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.